Whenever someone wrongs us, the first reaction, human nature the way it is, the first thought that hit us is revenge, right? How are we personally going to avenge the wrong that is done to us? How are we going to hit back even harder than we are hit? (laughs) How are we going to pay back double or triple or more? And then we conjure and we plan retribution. How are we going to do this? In fact, we talk about sweet revenge. You hear people joke, but behind the joking there is seriousness. I don't get mad, I get even. Now, I'm not talking, of course, about when we get dragged into the courts of justice and we had to defend ourselves and, and seek justice and so forth. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking personal interactions. <laughs> I read a story about a wife who went to see the pastor. She had an abusive husband, and she was really pouring her heart out to the pastor and, and telling him about all the abusive uh, relationship they had and, and the anger that she's holding in her heart and, and uh, how she wanted to hit back somehow. And, and the pastor assumed that she understand biblical concepts, that she understood what Jesus meant, that when you are attacked, and, you know, instead of uh, hit back, uh, let revenge belong to God. And, and you heap a hot call on their head when you do good to those who have attacked you. And and so he said to her, he said, have you thought about putting hot coal on his head? Well, she had no idea what that means. And she thought for a minute, then she said, no, really, I haven't tried that. (laughs) I have tried boiling water once. (laughs) But even the non-Christian world now recognizes that trying to take revenge into your own hand is counterproductive. Uh, Trying to avenge yourself is like uh, biting a dog because the dog bit you. Uh, Some wise person said, listen carefully, he said, your enemies are very valuable asset as long as you refrain from striking back at them. You say, well, how come? Because they keep you on the alert when you might otherwise become spiritually lazy. I can testify to the fact that having critics and having false accusers can keep us spiritually strong. Did you know that? In fact, a pastor friend of mine from Southern California for whom I worked for about 18 months, uh, back in 77 and 78, when I lived in Southern California, and he often used to say, he said, Michael, when they kick you in the rear end, rejoice, because that means you're in front of them. (laughs) (laughs) Why are harassers and false accusers and critics are good for us? Why? Because they keep us on the knees of prayer for them. In the last message, we began the series from 2 Thessalonians. We saw how the Apostle Paul was filled with thanksgiving to the Lord for their increasing faith. He gives thanks to God for their growing love for one another. He gives thanks to God for ever intensifying hope and trusting in the Lord. In the midst of crushing circumstances, it wasn't everything going great. So the Apostle Paul goes on to begin to lift their eyes, begin to elevate their vision into the day that is coming. 
When God brings history to an end, and as we saw in the last message, that Jesus is going to bring history to a climax. He's going to bring it to an end on that day. And that's what he is asking, to keep looking at that day in order that they may resolve to stand stronger in their faith, to keep on growing in the love and to keep be intensifying for that hope. I want you to turn with me to verse 5 of chapter 1. And here's the Apostle Paul. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that all of this unjust suffering is actually testifying to the fact of your incredible reward that you're going to receive on that great day. It's a great indication about that inheritance that you're going to receive on that great day. But I want to stop here and I want you to listen for a minute because a lot of people get confused about this. The Bible never, never, never tries to gloss over evil. The Bible never tries to pretend that evil does not exist. That's not in the Scripture. The Bible never says that God winks at evil. No, 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 no. The Bible calls evil, evil. The Bible calls suffering, suffering. The Bible calls pain, pain. And what the Bible said is that when believers suffer unjustly, when believers experience crushing circumstances that is beyond their control, when believers are baptized by fire, not only will God be with them and present in a very special way, not only that He will strengthen them in a way they've never experienced before, but God will not overlook the injustice that has taken place. That God will not let those who cause them pain get off scot-free. That God will not let the false accusers get away with it. That God will not let the persecutors of the believers off the hook, as it were. But while His believers are going to be sustained. They're going to be strengthened in the times of trials, in the times of difficulties, in the time of false accusation, in the times of persecution. God's vengeance is coming upon those who cause them suffering. While believers are growing in faith, they're growing in love, they're growing in the intensity of their hope in Christ, in the middle of their suffering, those who pain them are being prepared for eternal suffering. While the believers are proving to be worthy of the incredible reward of that day of heaven, those who cause them suffering and pain will experience the reversal of fortune. How? Because God is going to pay them back more than double or triple. He's going to pay them a whole lot. While On that day, the believers are going to receive blessing and honor and relief. Those who cause them pain will receive indescribable judgment. While believers who are harassed and beleaguered and rejected and alienated and ridiculed are going to be rewarded generously. Their haters, their harassers, their rejectors will not only suffer for a time, they're going to suffer for all of eternity. In fact, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, just those five verses, Paul is saying that when the Lord returns and history comes to an end, when He comes to bring history to conclusion, when Jesus, the Savior, 
becomes Jesus, the judge, and sits on the bench, everything that you see right now is going to be turned upside down. Today, people are calling good evil and evil good. But on that day, good will be good and evil will be evil. Everything that has made you sorrowful because of injustice, the injustice in it is going to become topsy-turvy. In fact, the Apostle Paul answers three questions in these five verses, and I want to share those questions with you. He's answering them to the Thessalonians. He's answering them to all of us. The first question is this, when will God vindicate the believers and judge the non-believers? Secondly, who will be punished? And thirdly, what form will that punishment take? Now let's look at these questions and, and Paul's answers to them from the Word of God. When will God vindicate the believers and, and judge the wicked and those who have rejected Him? Uh, we saw in the last message that Christ's return will bring the history to a climax. Christ's return will bring an end to the opportunities that everyone has today of repenting and turning to Him and receive the gift of salvation and eternal life. There's going to be an end when the door will be shut and the opportunity is no more. God is not going to just feel sorry for people and let them in. He is giving them the opportunity now. He is giving them the invitation now. He is saying, come to me now. The hour is now. The moment is now. But the day is going to come when that opportunity is gone. Christ's return will be a moment of great separation. The return of Christ will cause the world to turn upside down. Please hear me right. <laughs> right here and now. If you have any spiritual sensitivity, you have to agree with the fact that the glory of Jesus is hidden right now. It is hidden. People can't see it. Right now, those who love Jesus are harassed in every way. Right here and now, Jesus' name is used as a swear word by Hollywood types. Every believer today feels the burden. If they don't feel it personally, they feel it for others. But even believers in the Lord Jesus Christ today are not walking in the power of His presence. Ah, but when He splits the eastern sky, He's going to reveal to both believers and non-believers alike. He's going to reveal something that they could not even see. We see it through the eyes of faith. We believe it because God said it. The Holy Spirit testified. The Word testified. But we cannot see it with our own eyes. We will on that day. Look at verse 7. He says, He will reveal. The word here, apocalypsis, means reveal, open, uncover, unveil, something hidden. But then it's not going to be hidden anymore. Can you say apocalypsis with me? You got it. Now you can speak Greek. It is such a powerful word, I don't want you to miss it. Because you see, today, Jesus' righteous power is hidden from the world. But then, it's going to be fully revealed. Today, His overpowering and blazing justice is hidden. It is ignored. It is mocked. <laughs> but then, <laughs> it's going to terrify them when it is revealed. 
Today, his divinity is denied even by church leaders, even by clergy from the pulpits are denying the divinity of Christ. The even so-called Christians, even those who call themselves born again, they're denying the divinity of Christ, the very corner of the Christian faith. Oh, but then, then they're going to bow to him. You see, here and now, they act as if they are gods in arrogance and haughtiness. But then they will cry to the rocks and to the mountains, and they will run from mountain to mountain and say to the rocks, cover us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne. Jesus' first coming was in humility, which caused some people to mock him, caused some people arrogantly to make fun of him. But then When they behold him, when they comes with an iron scepter, they will mock him no more. Look at verse 7 again. He will return, not alone. He will return with the mighty angels. He will return in blazing fire. Where does Paul get this information? Well, the Holy Spirit gave him to him, but he also takes it as straight out of the mouth of Jesus. Matthew 16, 27 Here's what Jesus said about his return. Here's what Jesus said about that day. He said, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. You see, Paul did not make up the stuff. (laughs) He takes it right from Jesus, from his lips. But that's not all. That's not all. On the day, he's going to return with flaming fire. You say, what is that flaming fire that Paul is talking about? This is the fire of judgment. Uh, This is the fire of his blazing justice. Uh, This is the fire of consuming and destroying sin. This is the fire of the furnace of his avenging his faithful children. This is the fire of his divinity that people denied it and mocked it and refused to believe it. In fact, Paul tells us, that on that day, his return will reveal his two-sided, two-fold justice, relief for the faithful and retribution to the non-believers. Peace and rest for the believers, pain and suffering for his enemies, refreshments for his suffering saints, revenge for his deniers and false believers. And those who, in apostasy, turn their back on him. He's going to vindicate the believers and judge the non-believers. The second question is, who will receive this retribution, this judgment? Verses 8 and 9. The word retribution here means full measure. (laughs) Full measure. It's not going to be just partial. It's not going to be just a slap on the wrist. No, 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 no. It's not going to be just a partial. It's going to be full measure. That's what the word means. So who are the recipients of this inexplicable punishment and judgment? All those who have denied him as the only Savior and Lord. All those who have rejected him as the only way to God the Father and to heaven. All those who have mocked harassed, insulted, and persecuted his faithful believers. But my beloved friend, you must understand, God's punishment is not going to be unruly. It's not going to be willy-nilly. It's not going to be a hostile judgment to 
of vindictive judgment. It's God's punishment and judgment is not going to be like somebody goes on a rampage, destroying everything in sight. No, 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 no. Uh, that's how humans react. But God's judgment is going to be perfect judgment. It's going to be perfect, absolutely perfect. And this is why on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, leave retribution to me, leave revenge to me, because I do a far better job that you are capable of. Because his judgment is perfect. His judgment is complete. His judgment is not arbitrary. His judgment is exacting. His judgment is a righteous judgment. Listen to what John the Baptist said about that day. In Matthew 3.12, he said his winnowing fork in his hand. Well, some of you might not know what a winnowing fork is. <laughs> Back in the old days when they cut the wheat and they bring it all on the thrashing floor. And with heavy sticks, they will beat the wheat. And then they wait for a windy day. And this long fork, long wooden fork, that's called a winnowing fork. The farmer would just lift up everything off the thrashing floor. The windier, the better, because the wind blows away the chaff, all the husk. And the wheat will come on the thrashing floor. Now that you understand that, let me read you the full passage from Matthew 3.12. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's not going to die down. So much for gentle Jesus. So much for the milk toast Jesus that is preached in many a pulpit today. So much for the meek and mild Jesus. Listen to me, beloved. Anyone who preaches only the mercy of Jesus and does not preach the justice of Jesus is preaching a false gospel and misleading a whole lot of people. Luke 21, 22. Listen to what Jesus himself said. You see, a lot of people don't want to preach from Luke 21, 22. In fact, some people are trying to take it out of their Bible. Some have. They want to cut it out. But here's what Jesus said. He said, His return is going to be a day of vengeance. His return is going to be a day of vindication. His return is going to be a day of just punishment. His return will be a day of controlled judgment. His return is going to be a day of perfect righteousness. His return is going to be a day of perfectly exacting judgment and punishment. Listen, <laughs> you and I know that a faithful and a good judge always gives the exact punishment to fit the crime, and they don't wink at, at crime. But just think about this, how perfect and holy Jesus is as a judge. You see, on that day, not one single person who hated Jesus, persecuted his followers, not one is going to say, that is not fair. I did not get my a fair shake in this. This is not right. Not one. Everybody is going to stand there, especially those who have rejected him and those who persecuted the believers and those who refuse to believe that he is the only way to heaven are going to say, I got my fair justice. I got my just reward. I deserve this. 
That's what's going to happen in the last day. It's not going to be like the day everybody complaining, oh, it's not fair, this is not fair, and my rights and all that. No, no, no. On that day, all of those who harassed the believers, harassed the followers of the Lord Jesus, they're going to say, I got my just deserves. When will that day of vindication be when Christ appears in His glory? Who will be punished? All those who have refused to believe that He is the way the truth, and the only giver of eternal life. All those who have rejected him and his believers. The third question that Paul answers here, what form of punishment will this take place? Look at verse 9. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. When we think of destruction, like a, these storms, you know, and, and they just destroy. A house will be there and, and it disappears. That's total destruction. That's not what it means here. They're not going to just disappear. It does not mean that they will be demolished and gone. It does not mean that their suffering is going to come to an end. And that they're going to vanish somehow. <laughs> in fact... They will be longing to vanish. They really will. They'll be longing if they can disappear. They'll be longing. But what's going to happen is what the word here means is that they're going to lose everything that makes existence worthwhile. These lost people will not cease to exist, (laughs) they will experience forever life of hopelessness, emptiness, and meaninglessness. The life will have no value, no purpose, and no hope. While they will be paying for the rejection of Christ, for insulting His followers, His believers are going to be blessed and rewarded for eternity. Verse 10, On that day He comes to be glorified in His holy people, And to be marveled at, and be marveled at, among all those who have believed. And then Paul goes into the Thessalonians and says, this is including you. And I believe it's not a stretch of the text to say that's including every believer today. This is including you because you believe our testimony to you. According to Philippians 3.21, We will have bodies like Jesus' body after the resurrection. Our character is going to be Christ-like. It's not something to be praying for and longing for and singing about. We will have it. We will have the character be Christ-like. He will be glorified in us and we in Him. Now let me give you a use of translation. What Paul is really trying to say here, okay? Here's what it means. We're going to look at each other on that day. The believers are going to look at each other and say, Can you believe this? (laughs) Did you ever imagine this like this in your wildest imagination? That's what he was trying to tell you. I'm just trying to put him in the vernacular. (laughs) Did you ever think it would be that fantastic? Did you ever think it would be just incredible? Did you ever imagine how wonderful it is? And we say, no, not in even our wildest imagination. And then in verses 11 and 12, he says, Paul is praying that they'll always be encouraged by that day. That they'll always be encouraged and encourage one another. Beloved, we must always, always pray for one another 
as we look forward to that day to come. Even as we labor, even as we serve, even if we give of ourselves, even as we give of our resources, even as we do all that within our powers, every time we have a breath serving Him, but we look forward to that day, knowing that day is coming. Instead of spending your life filled with anger and bitterness and thought of revenge, instead of spending your life saying, oh, woe me, look at me, licking your wounds, instead of having a life of bitterness, remind yourself and others of this great day. Amen? Amen. Spend your life praying and encouraging one another by getting ready for this most awesome Amazing, eternal, reigning and ruling with Him. In verse 12, he said, For Jesus must begin to be glorified in us here and now. Let Him be glorified in you today. Let Him be glorified in your use of your time. Be glorified in the use of your resources. Let Him be glorified in the use of your testimony. Let Him be glorified in the way you deal with people and and in relationships. Let me give you an example of how one man learned to turn his bitterness, his desire for revenge, into glorifying Jesus Christ. It's the example of a person who learned that lesson, and he learned it well. Lesson of handing vengeance to the Lord and heaping burning calls on the head of those who hurt us, those who persecute us. Some of you might know this story. It's a true story. And this story is of a man named Jack DeShazer. Jack DeShazer found himself as taking an answer to the desire for revenge and bitterness and turning it around. First, let me tell you about him. Jack went to Japan as a missionary. But he went there with the most unusual the most unusual way. He went via a Japanese camp, prison camp, in Shanghai, China. Jacob the Shazer, called Jack for nickname Jack, but his name is Jacob, was one of the B-25 pilots who flew in the Doolittle raid to bomb Japan. And while he was flying he was forced to ditch his plane and was later captured by the Japanese and imprisoned in Shanghai in a prison camp. He and four other surviving fellow prisoners were treated in the most inhumane, the most incredible torture and pain and suffering. They put them on literally a starvation diet. Jacob begged his captors for one thing. (laughs) That's a Bible. And they gave him a Bible, and he began reading the Bible. And four weeks later, he gave his life to Christ and became a believer. At that moment, he began to see his captors through new eyes. He began to pray for God to forgive them. After the war, Jacob returned to the United States and attended Bible college. And when he graduated from Bible college, he felt the Lord literally leading him to go back to Japan and be a missionary. So in 1948, he went back to Japan 
And his message was very simple. He printed a brochure translated into Japanese entitled, I was prisoner of war. And he would stand on the railway stations and just hand that testimony of his. He hands it out to passengers as they come and go. One day he was outside Tokyo's uh, Shibuya train station handing out these Christian leaflets of his testimony. One of the passengers who was coming into that railway station took one of these leaflets from him. It was a man, a Japanese man by the name of Matsuo Fachida. Matsuo was the only, the only Pearl Harbor pilot who lived through the war. In fact, Matsuo was the lead plane in the 350-plane attack on Pearl Harbor in 1941. And as he took that brochure and began to read it, in the story of Jacob the Shazer, he went out and got a Bible and began to read the Bible. Later, Matsuo became one of Japan's great evangelists and led many people to Christ. You see, Jacob the Shazer's revenge was now complete. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He had turned a bitter enemy into a Christian brother and evangelist. And so if I have a word for the believers, let it be that you would ask the Lord, Lord, how can I turn all the bitter circumstances that I have been through into an opportunity of sharing Christ? But there may be a person here who has never received that gift of eternal life, never understood what it means to come to Jesus Christ, recognizing that he took all of your sin on the cross, repented of your sin, and received him as Savior and Lord. That's your first base. That's where you need to start. Father, we are so grateful to the power of the gospel. Father, you reminded us from your word that we have no power of us, we have no strength of our own, that faith and love and hope are all from you. And that's why we thank you for that. We bow before you in thanksgiving. Stir us up. Stir our spirits. Even as we see the day drawing nigh. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.